Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, hello, hello. I am your Sylvia Rivera, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Goosebumps. <laughs> hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostest Munoz, and welcome to part two of the In Your Mouth Coming Out Pride series. Yes. Oh my god, big things happening, y'all. Yours truly, your hostess with the mostest truly was listed on the Apple Podcasts pride recommendations playlist under passionate spirits yes oh my god i was so excited i really just clicked through apple podcast the other day and just was searching to see what was there and lo and behold i found yours truly i couldn't be more honored more humbled and more excited so if you're new around here because you found me that way welcome this is the only food podcast on the airwaves celebrating LGBTQ people in the food space, food folks with an X people. Yes. And if you've been with me for a while, honey, we're moving on up. You may or may not have heard an ad or two from like Etsy or somebody on the pod too. Listen, she's growing. She's moving on up. She needs to make a dollar because this podcast, believe it or not, takes a lot of time. It is a labor of love and I am just so honored and excited and love doing it every week and bringing this to you. So I feel like I'm in one of those like flashback episodes of like the Golden Girls or the Nanny or something where, you know, they're talking about something and then they flash back to, you know, old episodes. And last week I was just, you know, I went down a road of, you know, representation matters and really, really diverse coming out stories. And I was just so excited to bring them to you. And we're going to have a, more of that today just because I just think it's really, really important to have 
you know, most of these coming out stories in one place as a collection as a whole. But before we get there in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, as always, I need to wish y'all out there happy National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. Ooh, that was a mouthful. I like strawberry rhubarb pie. Um, You know what? Shout out to my friend Justin out there who did all my graphic design work. His mom, I was drunk one night and his mom offered me rhubarb and I was like, what am I going to do with that? I can't shove that up my ass. Oh my God. My mouth gets me in so (laughs) much trouble. Times, please do not put rhubarb or any other thing that is not approved up your tuchus, please, especially strawberry <laughs> rhubarb pie. But strawberry anything is legit my favorite. Although, you know, I'm trying to slim down just a hair. You know, I've I've embraced the body dysmorphia and the dad bear pride bod, but you know, I'm trying to slim it down a little. So no strawberry rhubarb pie for me to like at least late summer, but I am here for it. And moving (laughs) right along, what is happening today? And moving right along to this day in gay history, did you know that on this day in 1891, composer and lyricist Cole Porter was born? Yes, known for his musical scores and lavish lifestyle, Porter was one of the most famous American gay figures of the 20th century. Yes, you know, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's the lovely. Yes, I love Cole Porter. When I was a young queen, I was in Anything Goes in Summerstock in Naples, Florida. It was quite a joy to do, especially when, you know, you're listening to it and people like Ethel Merman or Patti LuPone are involved, right? I, I feel like back then... You know, gay wasn't a thing. We just called him eccentric. You know what? When I grow up, I want to be that eccentric gay, you know, with like with all like the loosey, flowy, you know, caftany fabrics and like bangles up to my elbows and, you know, just sitting at the edge of the bar and, and living my best life. And speaking of things that were or are lovely and delicious sometimes, are coming out stories. And I'm just so excited to get to it this week in part two of the coming out series for In Your Mouth Pride. Yes. And last week, we ended with Dr. Jason Goldstein of Chop Happy sharing, you know, his journey to joy and his coming out story and glowing up after that. And Obviously, coming out stories run the gamut of experiences and coming out in itself is multi-layered, but it always warms the cockles of my heart when I have a guest on and they just share a, a great experience as if it were as if it were nothing as it should be, as if it were normal. And shout out to all the moms and the dads out there who are not only present, but who who are just like, yeah, what's the problem? Uh, Because there isn't a problem. And so this week, I wanted to start out right there at that point with Jake Cohen, who has been such a fantastic spirit and one of the many fantastic guests on the pod. Take a listen. And I'm really curious about what coming out was like for you. Easy. It's really like one of those things where, where I think it is so 
such an important conversation to be talking about that process on the full spectrum of experiences. For myself, I came out to an incredibly supportive family and had nothing but love outpouring from each and every one of them. My husband had a similar experience. For others, that's not the case. And I think the most important thing is that um, in media, we're seeing representation of both because for so long, I think Call Me By Your Name and Love, Simon got a lot of like a lot of criticism and rightfully so in, in some aspects. But for others, like my my always response to that was like, this was the first time that I saw my family represented and my personal experience kind of play out in terms of my internal coming to terms with sexuality versus I think it's equally important to see the like prayers for Bobby experiences as well. And then, and, and I just think, I just think there, there's like we talked about in terms of food, it's like everyone is going to go through this world differently based on their own family journey. And it's just important for people to have that kind of exposure no matter what. And Jake couldn't be more right about exposing people to diverse stories. And it's part of the joy of what I do is giving people a platform. And actually, me, myself, and I get into here a diverse group of people tell a diverse set of stories. And somebody else who has shown me all the love, I am obsessed with her. She is one of these people that, you know what? Like, she will carry your name into the room with her. She has been a big supporter of me and I of her since we have met. Her name is Chandley Borges, and she runs Gays Gotta Eat on Instagram. She's amazing. Just take a listen to her story. Would you mm-hmm. mind sh- sharing your coming out story with us? Sure. Okay, so... And yes, I'm going to stop you. I, I, full, full interview, no, no. All right, ask a question and then interrupt you. But I love that you showed up with a big tie-dyed rainbow shirt. Today. Oh. <laughs> bye, bye. Right, just just to give the the listeners a visual. Yes, yes. It's actually shout out Allie's banana bread. She's been a homie since day one. Yep, She's I a- entered the contest a couple of weeks ago. <gasps> I didn't, I didn't win, but uh, um. It's okay because I don't think, I think that was like a breach of like, because now we're close. <laughs> right. Now, now we're besties, but she has giveaways all the time. And she's a local Brooklyn foodie herself who's cooking these up. And she's so sweet, so amazing, donates half her proceeds all the time. So go, Allie's been out of bread. Yes. Yes. But back to you. Yes. yes. Sorry. Sorry. Just had to no, no, no. Yeah. Plug Allie's <laughs> banana bread. We love you. Shout out to you. Right. It's yeah. completely my fault because I asked you a question. I interrupted you, but I wanted no, to, okay. I wanted to give the listeners a visual. Yeah. Okay. So it was back in 2018. Um, I kind of always had this inkling, I want to say since I was growing up, but growing up on Long Island, which is a very you know, Republican. It's it's a bit of Trump country, girl. Yeah, so it was kind of really hard growing up. And, you know, everyone in my town was the straightest town that there ever was. And there was, I think, one person in my high school who was out at the time, and it was newsbreaking. Like, everyone was talking about it. The parents were talking about it. So, you know, it kind of makes little baby gays just hide in their shell and not want to even explore their sexuality. So that was totally me, 100%. And then I went off to college. And from there, you know, I met a bunch of people, part of the community. And 
it was just eye-opening even just to see them walking around campus holding hand in hand with their significant other and you know no one doing a double look or thinking twice about it and growing up I never had that so it was just really hard growing up and then after college I actually went down to Florida for a little stint at Disney World um which is a whole nother topic of conversation I could tell you about later but um when I was there I lived by myself well I lived with roommates but obviously my family wasn't there and I didn't know anyone I went by myself and it was the greatest experience ever I was able to just be myself introduce myself as yeah I like girls and boys I don't really know what I am and kind of just put myself out there to go on apps, meet whoever, or, you know, mingle with whoever in person, and no one judged, no one cared. And then I came back from Disney, and I still had the apps on my phone, and that's how I kind of met my girlfriend now, Um, which don't be ashamed by meeting people on apps, people. They're amazing, especially nowadays. You know, it's really hard to meet people in person. It's spoken like like the true younger generation. Yes, yes. I think I'm uh I think it's like 120 some odd days till my 40th birthday because I have nothing better to do in quarantine yeah. than count down to yeah. my 40th birthday. But but this this old queen remembers walking the streets of Chelsea and and having men throw keys down at them and it's a it's a different time for sure. I wish but I was like, there though. That sounds fun. <laughs> it was something, but continue. Yeah. So. I wasn't really out when I actually met her. Neither of us were, which is kind of the beautiful thing about starting a relationship with someone and kind of figuring out the ropes together. Um, And then from there, when it became serious and we knew that we wanted to share our story and tell everyone that we're together, we're happy, we're dating, um, we kind of just came out together. And, you know, there's no right way to do it. And there's no uh, way that, it's ever going to be too early or too late. So I think that that's kind of the beautiful thing that we went through that together. And there's going to be people along the way who don't support you. I'm fortunate that all my friends were so happy for me and they all were like, Haha, we, we could have guessed that. I, I mean, I was a college athlete, whatever. And I was always the tomboy, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, but they were really happy. Um, and my parents, it's taken them a while to come around, but they've definitely been more supportive nowadays than they were a year ago. And I think that that's the thing you have to remember, like, you know, you could come out and it's, it's a lot for people, for you, you just think it's the norm and it is the norm, but for someone who's not part of our community, it takes them longer to process. And, you know, I'm still going through that with my parents, especially my dad, but to think back from a year ago today to where I am today, it's completely changed and it is better and it's slowly but surely, but you know, you, you have to give and take what you can. And especially during the times when my dad wasn't as supportive, you know, just because you have blood family members doesn't mean that they're your family. You know, you can make your own family, whether it's friends, extended family, your significant other's family, and it doesn't have to be who's blood related to you is your family. What I love about Chan Lee's story and what's so unique about it is that 
it's very rare that you have a coming out buddy. And in this instance, it was her girlfriend that came out with her. And that's so unique and so rare and so beautiful that they can share that experience together and had each other to lean on. The other thing I love, and we say it all the time, is that, you know what, sometimes it takes a long time for people to come around because of what society is putting on us or putting on our parents or what religion has put on the world or whatever other outlying factors there are. And being able to come through that and find your tribe and find your village it's, is what makes us so special as an LGBTQ community. Next up is my fave, my girl, my boo, uh, my sis, um, Hottie McHotterson, the vegan roadie, Dustin Harder, who not only talks about what it's like being a, a gay vegan man in a kitchen, but also what coming out was like for him. I was about to go down a road of just being uh, not only a vegan in like, a, a kitchen setting, like a normal kitchen setting, right? right? Or if there was space for you to work that out, but also just being a gay man in this very heteronormative, sure. like, hyper-masculine place and what that was like for you. But like... Well, it's, I mean, I have, I've, I've, I've seldomly done, well, it's inter- I've gone into a lot of restaurant kitchens filming my show. Yeah. Um, and I just decided the best way for me to sort of combat that is to be my authentic self. And I walk in, I'm hugging people. I say hi when we're filming. Clearly, I'm not walking in anywhere and hugging anyone right now. But when we film, um, you know, it's my job as the host to make people comfortable. So I kind of break those walls down when I go in that kitchen because sometimes you walk in and that chef isn't having it. And I'm like, look, you guys put me on the schedule today. So either let me in and we're going to do this and like, let's be happy about it. Or like, cool, I'll go somewhere else, you know? So I have dealt with that a little bit, but I just try and bring the shine into the kitchen and go from there. I don't have necessarily, I don't think one specific story, you know, mine was sort of, um, I'd say I was, I was out in high school in the last couple of years, but more so just in the sense that it was like, I was the kid that did theater and the kid that was in choir and the people that knew, knew. And I was, you know, at the time, choreographing things in choir and, you know, working in um, community theaters around the few towns that I was, you know, my hometown and all that stuff like that. Um, So people just knew who I was and they knew, I guess, you know, so I didn't have to do this big coming out thing. And um, for the most part, people stuck up for me when they were jerks, you know, and bullies. Um, It wasn't always a a piece of cake, unfortunately. Um, But it wasn't terrible. There's a lot, lot of other stories that are, are really, really bad. It was, it was, I mean, I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I was kind of in the no, middle with it. No, you know what I mean? But like, that's, I mean, but that's your experience and that's uniquely yours and not, as you said, not everybody has that, but it's also good to hear that not everybody has to, it's not all struggle and strife. It doesn't have to. Yeah. I mean, you know? I had some things like, you know, my dad took a long time to come around, you know, so I, I definitely had that. And that took years that took into my mid twenties. Um, and there were people that just didn't accept it, but I had such a support group, honestly, within theater that I could wash it all away at the end of the day if I was going to rehearsal. Yeah. You know, so I was very lucky to have that. Um, and in terms of my mom, she was supportive from the get, you know, she's a great mom and, and she was there for me. Yeah, shout out to all the moms out there again and to the dads that like hold us up to the single dads who are holding us up and accepting us. And like I said, progressive acceptance is a thing and it just takes and I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, but like, why does it have to be? Why can't 
it just all be the norm, right? And the next collection of stories, and I thought I would just group them together because I thought they would flow really nicely. One is about progressive acceptance from Chef Renee Blackman. The following two are about non-acceptance and then the glow-up from there, the beautiful glow-up from Christian Fairlove, also known as Melody Lucas, and gay gamer and baker Dan Toro. Hey! And then finally, it was Chef Denovan Miranda, who really took my heart with his yearning for acceptance. Take a listen. I always say, especially when I have sisters and brothers of the LGBTQ nature on the pod, that we never know who's listening and our stories, and we never know who our story is going to affect and lift up and who needs to hear our story at this moment in time. And I was wondering if you would be so kind in sharing your coming out story. You know, can I be very honest and frank with you? I don't think I have a coming out story to share. And the reason why I say that, again, coming from the West Indian, mm-hmm. you know, background, you know, these are not things that we speak about. Um, but I will say this at the age of 16, you know, while in Barbados, you know, visiting family, you know, I ran up a phone bill for about $2,000, you know, and my father asked me, who were you talking to? And my words were, I was talking to my best friend. You know, and obviously that's not my best friend. That is my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, time sort of came to pass where my father picked up on certain things. And then we started to have a conversation about who this best friend is and, you know, the explanation of pictures and things like that. Gradual acknowledgement. I can't say gradual conversation, but gradual acknowledgement. And as time progressed, you know, my mom was a little open to, you know, what she was noticing as well. So for me, it's just that's my coming out. I didn't really come out. It's just they accepted me as time progressed. Oh, let's see. I came out at uh, 13 and I told my mom, because uh, my, mom, my mom was a teacher. So whenever we bring things to our mom, we would bring them with an intellectual approach, sort of. So before I even talked to her about it, I had done research at the library. I actually got flagged at the library once because they thought I was looking up inappropriate stuff when I was just looking up like sexuality and trying to understand it. But uh, after I compiled all my information, I went to her and told her. Uh, she did not take it uh, well at all. She was very upset, um, but that led to uh, eventually me being given up for adoption. Uh, she gave me up for adoption. Uh, I also went to uh, one of the degayification camps. I went to a church camp and OTP program. I went to uh, at least two mental hospitals and everything to try to rid me of this toxic affliction so to speak. But uh, eventually, um, once I got to foster care, that actually allowed me a lot of time to find myself because most, I'd say 95% of the respite homes that I stayed in, they did not care. They would slide you a little money and say, here, don't get in trouble, stay out of my face. So, But that gave me a lot of chance to learn my independence um, and learn who I am and who I wanted to be uh, without interruption or without boundaries. Uh, so that really helped. But then I was adopted um, by my uncle and my aunt, um, only to then a few years later be kicked out by them. So then I was a homeless teenager at 17 and uh, couldn't go back into the foster care program because I was too old, but couldn't be emancipated because by the time the paperwork went through, I'd be 18. 
it's pretty much I was stuck in like a child limbo. But um, I a lot of the organizations here, uh, like AFA and We Are Family, uh, pitched in and helped, uh, found temporary places for me to stay. Uh, there were at least two lesbian couples that let me crash on their couch temporarily while I was finishing high school because I was still in high school at this time. So um, that was important to me to finish school because um, at least I knew I wasn't going to college, but I at least wanted to finish high school. Um, but that eventually led to me graduating high school, still being homeless at the time. But then once I got my job at the bank in 2008, that's when everything sort of turned around and I kind of picked myself up and then created Melody <laughs> on top of that. Now back to the baking for a minute. Is there, before <laughs> before college, was there like a love for the kitchen? Did like you grow up in like a family sort of, cook best, if you will? No, not at all, actually. I don't have kind of those cherished memories that a lot of other bakers that you might see on social media do, or even just anybody in general. Um, I actually grew up in foster care, so I really didn't kind of allow myself as a kid to make those family connections, because it was like, I don't know you people, and I'm just trying to be out at 18 and not come back, uh, especially because they were all kind of crazy. But that's a story for another time. Actually, can, can I interrupt you? And can you speak yeah. to that for a minute? Because that that is um, the story here, actually. Um, and what was what was that foster care experience like? And how did you end up coming through that to be the beautiful person that you are today? Oh, well, thank you. It was it was. I'm not going to lie. It, it was rough at first. Um, I was young when I entered the foster care system. I think it was ten or 11. Um, so I was old enough to kind of know I don't belong here, um, but still young enough to just go with it and accept it. Not in a in a Cinderella, know your place kind of way, but more of a, I need to make the best of this as best as I can um, and know that this is not my permanent space. I kind of always had, my therapist describes it as always having a luggage packed in the back of my head because um, I'm always ready to go. Um, which is fine. I accept that. Um, my luggage is cute, so I always want to leave one on display. <laughs> um, I, have, I always have a luggage, a luggage packed because I'm always ready to hoe. <laughs> we never know when you make a quick escape, whether it's to hoe around or just to kind of get out of Dodge. <laughs> I've, I've been alone in this apartment too long. I am full of these terrible dodges. <laughs> so please ignore me and keep going. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it kind of, that was pretty much my life, uh, 11 to, I graduated high school at 18. Um, and then probably a week before I was set to start college at Westchester, I was like, I'm going to go. <laughs> this was fun. Thanks. Um, don't write. I won't. And kind of just hit the road in my 1995 Chrysler LeBaron with a fabric rooftop that always leaked in the rain. So in the summer, it smelled like a can of tuna fish. It was horrible. Yeah. Don't suggest it. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of turns me on. <laughs> um, but it it was great because it's you know when I went to Westchester, it was right outside of Philly. Got to meet a lot of great people, and I know we all see those memes or those inspirational quotes. You know, you get to choose your family. Um, but I, I was kind of fortunate to experience that and really kind of go about my friendship circles with knowing these are the type of people I want around me that are going to be my anchor and they're going to be my family now. They're mine now. We're friends. They're not going to get rid of me. Um, flash forward X amount of years later and I'm still great friends with a lot of them. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's a testament to to us as a community, to 
friends that are really friends, because I always say, listen, I don't want people in my life that I can't fight with, that I can't argue with, that I can't cry with, that I can't be, that won't tell me I'm wrong and vice versa, uh, because there's no growth from that. There's like, exactly. and so the people I've, I've surrounded myself with, right? Especially some people out there whom I, who I know listen that I've known for like 20 years now or just under, like, you know, we bicker, we fight like family and then it's like business as usual, but we talk about it. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, you're an asshole. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, I'm Let's sorry. go to brunch. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I was an asshole. You know, I fucked up, you know? <laughs> or something like that. And and you move on and yeah, it's like, let's go to, like, girl, when are we going to the drink? Get a drink. I know we're fighting, but can we get a drink? But I really need to say that I am proud of you. Oh, you, wow. Thank you. <laughs> you, I, I don't know if you realize what it means or at least what it meant to me and what it means to have you shine so brightly in front of the camera. And Indie Mouth listeners, if you haven't seen this Chopped episode, right out of the gate. You know how they introduce the chefs out there and it's like, meet Chef So-and-so from Philadelphia who has this kitchen, right? So they do Chef Denovan and he comes out and uh, right out of the gate, he mentions his dad and wanting to make his dad proud, right, after coming out. And then he um, he mentions his partner and what he would do with the winnings uh, by taking him to the Philippines to show him his roots and where he came and where he came from, and you don't know me, but I started this culinary journey because I didn't see a face like mine on television, and here you are shining so brightly. And what does that mean to uh, like little kids out there who look like you, who look like us, me, um, seeing you do the thing? And be so out and so proud and shot and be so beautiful. And you know what? Take the whole thing home. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Um, listen, what happened on the episode um, was completely authentic. I, I did speak about, you know, my relationship with my father, who who I did lose to cancer um, and kind of uh, what it took to, you know, step up and, and come out to him, you know, when I did, because uh, you know, I, I come from an immigrant family, um, which was very Catholic, very conservative. Um, and thankfully, they're so supportive. And, you know, my family now is just so open and, and willing to embrace and accept um, me and my and my husband. And um, it's just been a wonderful journey. Um, and, and I wanted to definitely have that visibility because uh, I feel it's so important, especially for our community, for you know communities of, of people of color, of immigrants, um, and of course LGBT people, and and to have a platform like that and be able to express myself so openly was uh, was was a blessing. Uh, I was talking to the judges about um, kind of my coming out story. Uh, obviously, it was condensed to a few sound bites, but I think what they put out there was um, uh, really you know, translated well. Um, I think the part that I was disappointed that didn't make it um, after I had, uh, and by the way, I think a lot of, the, the studio became quiet and uh, it was, you know, the production team are kind of very New York, very liberal, and uh, I would have to say uh, very gay. <laughs> um, and there were some some tears going on there. And I think they cut part of the, 
part of it, some of the judges were tearing up as well. Because um, I really, I, I go deep and I, I talk about, um, you know, I, I, I literally came out to my father on his deathbed. And, uh, and it was just such a excruciatingly touching moment for me. And it just really changed um, the, uh, the trajectory of, of my life, right? Yeah, um, um, well... Let me let me just jump in here really quick because we usually save the coming out story for a little later in the pod. Okay. And, but no, 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 no. But we're here and we're here now. And so why don't why not tell the story and tell the part that that maybe wasn't shown on television? And what was what was coming out like for you? Um, you know, coming out to me, I think you know, for most of us, uh, I'm just speaking from my experience, but uh, we have this irrational fear of rejection. Um, and, and rejection is such a strong, uh, a fear, especially if it's coming from your family. Right. Um, and you know, there's many of us who've, uh, heard of, or have had friends who this many, you know, they don't, they don't even talk to their families anymore. They were, um, you know, um, I guess they just didn't, weren't able to continue that relationship with them because of ideologies and, and belief systems that, you know, are, are unfortunate, hard, heartbreaking um, stories and, and uh, things that come out of situations like that. Uh, I was very fortunate when I came out to my father. Um, he was sick with uh, renal cancer uh, for nine months, and he was in hospice care in our house, um, in my parents' house with a nurse. Um, and you know, it was, it was honestly his, his last week. Uh, and I sat next to him for hours and I knew, I knew I was going to do it at that moment, but it took me so much time. And it was just, uh, us kind of talking about life, catching up. And, um, and then, uh, I mustered the strength, um, to just put it out there. And, you know, I, I told him, you know, dad, um, you know, I, I want you to know that I'm gay. Uh, I introduced you to Alex. He's, he's my partner. Um, and he kind of put my, his hand on my hand and he's like, um, he told me, he's like, I know, but that's not important to me. I just want to tell you that you make me so proud and, um, the biggest, uh, you know, uh, kind of what, what made him really, really sad that he wasn't going to be there to see me do great things and accomplish great things. Cause he, he, he knew that, you know, that's what my future held. And he really inspired me to continue to, um, you know, continue to make him proud because it, it's, uh, uh, I feel the same way, you know, I feel like, um, but I, I do feel his, his presence. Um, but honestly, it would mean a lot to just see him smile if he was like around to see that episode and, and everything. I mean, it's just, I, I miss him every day and, uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible feeling to be able to talk about it, uh, because this is something I haven't shared with many people, you know? So doing it on, uh, <laughs> I guess, national TV <laughs> was, uh, 
a really one way to experience. do it, but but I mean, I I am a firm believer in um, you know, in the afterlife and uh, people being with us, people surrounding us, people, you know, and you're you've shown you've shown so brightly in that episode. There is there is no possible way that your dad wasn't with you, wasn't yeah. wrapped fully around you, being like, you got this, you know? Yeah. And and what you do in his um name, oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. Um what you do in his name further on carrying that will you know, will forever make him proud. And how beautiful is that? Is that to share with other people who may be struggling right now, who may be listening to this right now, you know, and yeah. you can touch them in that way. So kudos to you. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that moment with us. Chef Denovan ended up leaving us with these words. I think the more we share our stories, the more visible we are. Uh, you know, we start breaking down these barriers and walls. And it's for that reason right there why I felt this two-part episode, this collection of coming out stories and why representation matters was so important. And I can't thank Renee Blackman, Christian Fairlove, also known as Melody Lucas, Dan Toro, and Chef Denovan Miranda for not only sharing their stories with me and you as my audience, but also entrusting me with their words. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And the next collection of coming out stories I wanted to share with you, I'm calling A Journey Through Generations because... Whether you're a spring chicken or a really well-seasoned chicken, <laughs> I've realized that in going back through these stories and listening again, you know what? No matter, you know, coming out is a journey. Coming out will always be a journey and different for each. But they have the same through line, right? The same want of acceptance, right? And no matter whether it's a journey through bullying or you know, using the bisexual bridge, as I call it. And thank you to all the bisexual people out there who let us gay people use their bridge as we are on our road to self-discovery. We love you and we honor you. Or if it's like finding yourself through the theater, um, all these stories just kind of come together in a beautiful collection of glowing up and coming out and becoming beautiful people. And so coming up right now is Elliot Norris, who I think may be the youngest person I've had on the podcast. I could be wrong, but I think so. And then on to my sisters, Adam Tabalea and Grossi Pelosi. And then on to probably what was the most hysterical episode of In Your Mouth with a beautiful couple, Chris Longwell and Wesley Loon from How to Feed a Loon. Take a listen. 
just to go on this like thread of like cyberbullying and whatnot, yeah. is this is this something not maybe not necessarily via the internet, but has has bullying be um been something that you've experienced before? And how did did that like yeah. how did you navigate that? Yeah, I think the only time I really got bullied was when I was like in middle school and I was this kind of like chubby. I had ugly glasses. They were like these ugly square glasses. Not that square glasses are ugly, but they were ugly on me. Uh, And I was just like, you know, I was like 14 and like didn't dress well and like just like, (laughs) you know, like a middle schooler. And I think that's the only time, like I remember like distinct times when I'd had like a couple people like call me like faggot or something like that. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's so mean. But I remember being in the back of my mind like, yeah, I'm gay. Um, but honestly, I, I got pretty lucky. Like, I grew up in Michigan in a pretty small town. It was close to a big university. It was close to Michigan State University. But it was still Michigan in the middle of nowhere. Um, so for being in such a small town, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I never got, you know, these, you know, my face dunked in the toilet, you know, at, in high school or, you know, shoved into a locker called faggot. I, got, I didn't get any of that stuff, thank God. Um, it's been pretty positive, honestly. Um, and even throughout college, too, I made sure that I, you know, found my right group of friends and I stuck with, you know, the LGBT kind of uh, groups on campus throughout undergrad. And then I moved to, you know, California, LA. Everywhere is pretty accepting there. So I think I've, I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed. That's, so. uh, that's amazing to hear. What was yeah. your coming out like? What was like your coming out story like? Yeah. Oh my God. It was weird. So I think like I first started telling like a couple of my friends, like and when I was, I was young, I was like 14, I think 13 or 14, maybe yeah, 13, 13 14. or 14. Oh my God. If I had yeah. to come out at 13 or 14, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that's like. Mm-hmm. It was. I remember. I remember just telling one of my friends because it was my friend Sage, and she was like kind of bi, and she was like one of my good friends, and she was her, Jewish. Her name is Sage. Yep, that all tracks. Right, right. <laughs> she, was like a, she was like a badass, and she was like, oh, yep. like like dated like a girl, and then she like dated guys and dated girls. So like, I felt comfortable telling her. I think that was the first person I told, um, and she like hooked me up with like different boys from different schools. She's like, hey, I have this like gay friend like at this school like you guys should like meet up and like we would do that at like 14 or 15 like after the library like I'm, I don't even know I couldn't even drive yet so I don't know how I yes I, I live for this story keep going yeah. <laughs> then I my I told the first person I told my family is my dad and I actually took my dad the funny funny story to the Lady Gaga monster ball tour in 2000 and 10 or 9 I don't know that one of her first big tours it was like her first big tour and I took my dad because he had to drive us because I was so young so I went with like me and a couple friends and my dad drove us and he went to the concert <laughs> and then I told him like a little bit after a couple months later and he was like oh that makes sense there was a lot of fishnets at you know the concert and I saw a lot of weird stuff and I was like yeah you, you should have known <laughs> uh, th- that's so cute um that monster ball tour for those of you uh lady gaga monster fans out there was 2009 it was 2009 yes okay cool 2009 yeah i love that um more often than not and we have shared on this podcast a lot of people's uh coming out journey the father is usually either the last one to know or just n- doesn't know at all 
Um, mm. So I love, I love the fact that like your dad was the first person you told from the family. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I just felt like I had to tell him for some reason, and it was weird because I felt always a little bit closer to my mother growing up. I think. Um, so I don't know if it was like that it felt easier to tell my dad at that given time. I don't know. I really don't know what it was, but I remember we were in the car and he was driving me to the airport and he was going to, I was off to France for the summer. And I remember I was like, I have to tell him before I make it to the airport. And I waited till the last minute till we were in the airport parking lot. And I told him, I remember we were listening to like Christina Aguilera is like the bionic CD is so embarrassing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I told him and he was totally fine with it. You know, he gave me a hug and he said, everything's all right. So, you know, I, I had really supportive, you know, parents and stuff. So it's great. I love that. I love that. Before you spent the summer in France, making out with young Parisian boys, um, <laughs> right? All of that. <laughs> Adam seems to be very comfortable in his own skin, uh, just like your hostess with the most is here, uh, Munoz. And I want to take a little bit of a serious moment and ask you about um, your comfortability in that skin and, and what your coming out was like. Tell me about that journey. Um, so like, like many of my, uh, you know, uh, queer friends and colleagues in my community. I was one of those kids who, you know, was running around in his sister's heels and uh, wearing lacy tablecloths as a toddler, pretending to be Vanna White. That was my jam. My parents were really great about, like, not putting a lot of restrictions on how I expressed myself. Um, so Why Vanna like, White? Oh, girl, Vanna White, icon. Like, she wears gowns and turns letters for a living. Like, who doesn't want to do that? And she's been doing it for, like, 40 years. Like, iconic. Was in Playboy? Come on. Uh, of course, as a child, I didn't know that. But, um, but so growing up, I was always very free to express myself. Um, but when I came out, uh, it was probably... Let's see. I started coming out to my friends my sophomore year. And my big... My, my gateway to coming out to my friends was... Um, I somehow like forced them to ask me if I had to, or uh, if I had to make out with a male celebrity, who would it be? Because I was like, I just need somebody to start this conversation with me so I can like open myself up. So I somehow like cornered my friend into asking me that. <laughs> I don't know, like I manipulated them somehow. And I was like, and at the time, my my crush was AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys. Is By he the on way, Dancing with the Stars? He is on Dancing with the Stars, and I would still absolutely hit that. Um, he oh looks good. He's I've like been, Sidebar, Dancing with the Stars, Tyra Banks hosting. I've been deep in a America's Next Top Model hole. Um, I've been just back-to-back -back watching all the cycles. I think I'm on cycle 12, 13 right now. And I am still young and old Munoz is still in love with one Jay Manuel. Oh, yeah. I mean, Queen. J. Manuel and Miss J. Like, let's get real. But I need, to, I need to start a petition to get Miss J on RuPaul's Drag Race as a judge because the shade and why she hasn't been is a whole nother story. But she definitely, she's queen of the shade and queen of the runway. It yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, well, and I've, we've actually gone back and watched a little bit of Tyra ourselves. And like, there's some really problematic stuff happening. Oh in my god! Episodes. So, uh, twelve seasons, twelve cycles in, it's all. There's so much problematic. But kudos to Tyra Banks because a, it's it's been 
I think it's the only show where she was the most natural and the most herself. And at every turn of the corner, as problematic as a lot of things were on that show, um, at every corner, she's giving opportunities to people of color, especially queer people of color, um, which I've noticed a lot too. But I, I digress and back to you and coming. But out. yes, so AJ McLean, still hot on Dancing with the Stars. That as a, you know, little like um, 15, 14, 15 year old Galang was like how I told, began to express to my friends, like I might be attracted to men. Um, I then, uh, a friend of mine caught wind of this that I had, you know, spent some time with. And he was like, I hear you like boys. I like boys too. So we started, like we became little high school boyfriends and <laughs> when the, the big coming out was basically um, my parents found a note that had fallen out of my backpack or my pocket onto my floor that basically detailed, um, there, there really was only one thing that, that outed me, but it said, I'm with Elijah now, which was my, my teenage boyfriend at the time. Um, and so I, I remember I was actually at Elijah's house because my parents just thought we were friends. So I was like going and spending the weekends with him. Like it was, and it's, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and so my dad calls me one night and it's like, Hey, um, I'm going to come and pick you up a little bit early tonight. And I was like, okay, no big deal. And he like picks me up in the car. I'm not thinking anything of it. He drives me home. I like run upstairs, get on the computer so I can sign on to AIM so I can start, you know, talking to Elijah. Um, or webcamming with strangers. Right. Stop. Not yet. I was so young. Um, and then my dad is like, you know, Adam, can you come downstairs? And I walk downstairs and I see my mom is in the living room and my parents were divorced and it had been for years at this point. So I was like, why is mom here? Like, this is, this has got to be. And then she holds up the note. So, you know, we have this whole, like, I'm like, it was a joke. I wrote it to like freak out my friends and I left it on my desk at school and it just fell out of my bed, you know, like all this stuff. And then finally I was like, okay, you know, like a lot of gays in our generation, I was like, I'm bisexual. Like I, you know, I'm just, I'm attracted to men, but I, I you know, I, I don't want to be with one just window shot, you know, it's that gateway into like becoming your gay self. Um, and so that was kind of like what really cracked it open. But I, I'd say that the thing that really helped me come into myself was the year after that, which is when I found theater. And um, that, you know, as you know, uh, is just a wonderfully weird and kooky, accepting, amazing community um, that really sort of allowed me to embrace who I felt like I authentically was. Um, and so I think that was that was really the key to, like you were saying, um, feeling comfortable in my own skin was, you know, I had parents that didn't put a lot of, that, that didn't tell me that I needed to act a certain way. Um, I came out fairly young. And then I found a, a group of people that I really felt supported by, which was the theater community. And so, um, I, yeah, I mean, of course, like like all queers, like it was not necessarily an, always an easy path to feeling comfortable with myself. Um, but I'm really glad that I, I feel like I, in some ways, uh, have figured out some really important aspects to just trying to live a, a happy life. Yeah, it really is. What was coming out like for you? Um, you know, it was, I came out right before I went to college. I was going to college and I knew that I had to sort of like speak my truth before I left. I came out to most of my friends and they were all very accepting. They sort of were like, we know. Some of them were like, we thought you were asexual, which I think sort of traumatized me, but I got over it. I was like, so you didn't think I had a sexuality at all? 
Um, but it just kind of goes to show you how much you can really close yourself down to the idea of, of sex or sexuality. Um, so I came out to them. I came out to my family. They were super accepting. I think my father took it the hardest, but it was never in a way where he didn't love me or support me. I think he just had to process it. Um, and that took a bit, but the entire time I felt fully, fully supported. So I'm so lucky. My sister was like, duh, like, of course. You know, I had an uncle who is now passed, but I think it's safe to say it was at least queer in a lot of ways, or at least supportive of, of me in that respect, without never really like saying it. But I had these really great resources around me. Um, so I'm so lucky. And I think um, I was able to come out at a relatively young age for the time. I mean, this was like 2000. So coming out at 18 was young. Um, you know, people are coming out at like six right now. So yeah, it's, I, you know, it's I can't keep up, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great. I'm, I'm so lucky. We certainly weren't afforded those privileges that the younger generation is definitely um, experiencing now. Oh and um, even, even in this whole new world, um, our stories really matter. And I say this quite often on the pod because we never know who's listening out there and you never know who may really like attach to your story and your being and and this is a big reason why I do this podcast as well to tell our stories through a different light so thank you so much for sharing that oh my god of course I think there's nothing better than being able to use whatever privilege we have or whatever experience we have to help people who have like the similar privilege or less privilege get through whatever they're going through and so I think that's really amazing to be able to use whatever platform we have to help those people and to show people that no matter what, like there are there are people thriving and shining oh in my gosh. every uh, uh, LGBTQ um, people just thriving and shining in every facet, in every corner of this world. Yeah. And there's not a more like welcoming or accepting, you know, like you can come in and, and I, I always say this, like if I had known how many as a chubby little boy, how many guys were going to like think I was like handsome or attractive or accept me for who I was. I didn't have to be like skinny or have abs or any of these things. It's such a beautiful thing. And I didn't know that when I was little. So it's like, that really affected me. And I think I just would, I love sharing that with younger insecure gay men. Cause I'm like, honey, there's someone for you. There's so many people for you. And that's oh. just one facet of it, but it, it's a conversation I have a lot. Just coming from that moment to this moment, you know, and oh. and seeing the support there to seeing a, a completely different kind of support now um, it must yeah. be incredible. And I'm curious to know what coming out was like for you then and now seeing this in hindsight, like everything that's happening in your life being celebrated now. Well, I, I'll speak first. I, I mean, I grew up in, you know, Texas, especially back when I was growing up, um, was conservative. It still is, although it's we're, we're helping that to become more diversified. But um, I grew up in a very conservative state. I grew up in a very conservative family. Um, and so just, and it was never talked about. Like, I didn't, I didn't have any gay um, people to look. I'm sure there were, they were there. I just, it was so, everything was so hidden, you know, and coming out really was just not done then. So it didn't even feel like an option to me. I look back on that and I think, oh my God, how is that possible? Um, so that's part of the reason why, you know, we were, we were a religious family. So the whole thing of like, you know, not only am I going to lose my family, but God is going to like, you know, condemn Smite me, me down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of crap going on in my head. And, and uh, so then 
actually it was theater that helped when I finally found theater. It just, the arts, it just, it helped me see the light and it lifted this burden off of my shoulders and then everything changed and my family changed and you know my dad right. my mom and dad became some of the biggest gay rights activists i know ever. marching with pete flag i love it i love it if anyone gets a chance uh, you know go to the how to feed a loon youtube channel and you just there's a wedding section and my dad gives a speech it's had almost two million views and i've it seen is, it I've seen it know, cried about it this morning yeah, yeah, it's just wonderful. And it was the video, and his father, uh, just to jump on your story a little bit, his father had a hard time with us for throughout the years, and he finally saw my dad's uh, video, and it changed his mind, and he accepted me fully. Oh, Lord, stop it, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> um, I, me, Wesley, I, Wesley? No, well, just, you know, people can't see oh. me, so I'm just, and we sound so much alike. So <laughs> anyway, so me, I, I grew up in South Dakota, it was... Uh, horrifying. Let's just say that. So me in, in high school uh, was just just horrifying. So horrifying that I feared for my life. Um, so I actually left at 17. Um, went to the big metropolis of Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, that, uh, that thriving metropolis you know? of Omaha. <laughs> yes. That yes. fast-paced city. Yeah. No, shout out, shout out to you, Omaha listeners, if you're out there. Yes, <laughs> I yes. So I that's where I that's where I let's just say I sowed my oats in you Omaha. Found, you found the stakes. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's so mm, yes. And the seasoning. Yeah. <laughs> so it, and from there, uh I actually went to high school. I finished high school on my own in Omaha. And uh, my drama teacher introduced me to uh, this school in Manhattan. Um, and that's where I, I left Omaha and moved straight to Manhattan. And I met Chris a week later in 1989. I'm going to say it in 1989. I was 19 years old. Yes. I love and Chris that. was 30. <laughs> He had to get that last dig in there. What a shady bitch. I love him. I love them so much. Isn't that incredible, though? Five completely different people, five different stories with so many similarities. It's it, coming out. The coming out journey is so special. And and I just it's baffling. Look, I, I don't even have the words for it. It's baffling that it needs to be the way it is, but at least, at least it's a testament, all these stories about it getting better, that good things happen, whether you're in a bullying situation or that people think one way about you. You know, people's perception has nothing to do with who you are and what you are and how you live, I think, is the grand message there. So big thanks also to Elliot Norris, Adam Tabalea, Grossi Pelosi, and the men from How to Feed a Loon, Chris Longwell and Wesley Loon. Yes, I couldn't leave Chris and Wesley without asking them for some sage relationship advice. I mean, you know... The whole podcast has been about coming out and glowing up. Yes, glowing up and coming into your own and being successful food folks with an X, you know, or doing amazing things in the field. But the whole point is about acceptance, right? The whole point is to be part of the norm, right? And part of that norm is healthy relationships. And more often than not, especially in 
in film and TV, we are not seeing healthy, successful gay relationships. And I think Chris and Wesley are a really good example of what that is. Listen to what they had to say. Uh, You know, before we close out, what do you think the secret is to um, not only the longevity of working together, but the longevity of your beautiful relationship? Give the teach give the children the advice. <laughs> give it to them now, honey. It's, it's, it's honesty. Honesty is 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 one of the most important things. And laughter. Laughter it gets us through so much. Um, and the fact that we can actually speak to each other about, you know, things that are uncomfortable. You just gotta just be yourself, be honest. Honest, and honest, be, honest. be willing to sort of like, you know, suck down your pride and say, I'm sorry, I messed right. up. You know, I mean, that is the biggest thing because, pe- you know, you, you when you think back in the fights and the arguments you have there, if you really think about them, they're, they're often so petty, but they can lead to such division in relationships. And so being able to just say, you know what? I was wrong. Let's drop it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. Even if in the down the bottom of your heart, you don't think you were wrong. No. Because the because then the coming back together is you know is so much more meaningful and that's what lends to longevity I think. Isn't that one of the most incredible things you've ever heard? I love them so much and I can't wait to have them back on the pod. Before I close out, folks, I recently had a fabulous conversation with Adam Ross, the gastry chef himself, not only about coming out but also about what it means to be non-binary. And what he has to say, I think, puts a beautiful bow on this coming out, this two-part In Your Mouth Pride series coming out journey that we've been on together. So sit back and take a listen. I think it's a very personal thing for everybody. I think it's largely becoming this thing where people are realizing that there's no need to just ascribe to the binary so much, not so much that they necessarily feel out of place in their body, but more that they're just realizing that there's no need to say, hey, I'm inherently a man or I'm inherently a woman. It's becoming more widespread and more acceptable to just see people expressing themselves in various ways that I think it's more become that the definition of what is male and what is female is just kind of more arbitrary now. And I know for me personally, it has been this realization over the past, you know, five, six years, where I just more and more realized that I don't fit into, you know, the common definition of what is a man. And I don't feel like I need to hold myself to that. I don't identify with it. I don't, you know, I look at, and I've talked to people, I've been like, what is it, you know, what is it that makes a man? What is it that makes a woman? And people will have so many different answers. And it's, you know, it ranges from what they're wearing, which we all know clothes have no gender, to what your job is, which doesn't make any sense to me, to whatever. If that's what you need to define yourself by, then bless, live your life. But I'm, I'm, I like to think that I'm more than my penis. And I don't think that having a penis necessarily makes me a man. I don't know about you out there, but my little rainbow heart or my big gay rainbow heart, I should say, is full to the brim. And I thought Adam's words were really the perfect way to just 
put the most beautiful bow on on the entire sentiment of it all because we are all different, you know? And and yeah, I'm just going to leave you there. Happy Pride, y'all. Happy Pride. I really hope you enjoyed this two-part series that I have brought to you. Please slide into my DMs. Share your coming out stories with me. I love to hear them. And with that, all I'm going to say is stay safe out there. And thank you for listening to In Yo Man.